Hello foodies and welcome to Starter Quest, a podcast where we look at classic video games through the eyes of an appetizer. Episode number nine, we'll be taking a bite of Kirby Superstar. I am your host, the culinary artist, Alexandre Croix, or Alexandre Croix. Ah, sacre bleu. <laughs> Merde. <laughs> Alongside my tasty side dish and the star of this podcast, Jen Hughes. I suggested the chili jam to my egg fried rice, but you weren't going to jump. <laughs> yeah, because that's two things that shouldn't be together. <laughs> For this episode, I also would like to introduce a guest host to keep me right while cooking in Kirby's kitchen, the unconfirmed king of dreamland, King Marco Hare. Hello there. How's it going? Not too bad, not too bad. How's it feel being on your very first podcast? Oh, it feels really weird being this side of the mic, if I'm going to be honest. Yes. I'm just hearing this from my ears and hating every second of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Mark that makes us sound like coherent, functioning human beings. Yes, Mark has been editing this podcast since episode two, The Secret Monkey Island. It's not understating how good the audio effects have been since you started helping out, especially in ones like the Street Fighter 2 vs Mortal Kombat episode. You help that audio sound so much more fun to listen to. So why don't you take a minute and just introduce yourself to the listeners. So my background in games is a little bit varied. I kind of played them because it was the end thing to do as a kid. I had a NES, like everybody else I knew, but I was never really good at games. I was quite easily frustrated. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until like a PlayStation 1 that came out really solidified my interest. What games were you playing in the PS1? Mostly anything cinematic. It's actually always been my kind of thing. I've been a big fan of cinema since I was a kid. So games like Final Fantasy, Resident Evil... Legs of Kane Soul Reaver, which is one of my genuine favourite games ever made. Yeah, that's definitely going to hold on this podcast at some point. Yeah, absolutely. It needs to. It is an absolute surrealist trip mixed in with vampire mythology. Absolutely worth your time. That sounds like my thing. So I really had to have a PlayStation when it first came out. As soon as I heard about all these kind of style games I learned, I saved up my lounge for the better part of like a year, just a little bit over, mm-hmm. and eventually got one. It wasn't until I was older when the PlayStation came out that I got the bug in a really big way. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love the cinematic storytelling that most of these games utilise. You know, to borrow a thought from Resident Evil 2, gaming at that time was rather two-sided coin. You either succeeded and saved the princess or beat the bad guys or fucking made a sandwich if you're playing Cooker Mama. Mm. Or on the other side, you failed and had to start again completely from scratch. I think somebody during the PlayStation era flipped that coin so many times that it landed on its edge. That whole explosion of something new came and completely changed it. It's no longer a two-sided coin. It's more like a dodecahedron these days. (laughs) Hang on, what's that again? Twelve-sided. Oh, right, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I still play from time to time, mostly into more open-world-based stories. When The Witcher first came out, it had all the little droplets of what was going to become amazing with games, like, you know, games like GTA or Ghost of Tsushima, Sekiro. I could go on for ages. And this is the original Witcher. The original one. The second one was outstanding for mm-hmm. that. Don't get me wrong, the third one is the one people go absolutely crazy about. But when I tell people that The Witcher 2 had like, what, 20 some odd endings, mm-hmm. and that there's a decision early in the game that you can make where you will not see half the game, half the events, or meet half of the people unless you pick a particular option. I don't know, it really made it for me, you know? I get you. You've always been really big in your story games. I remember it was you that recommended me Fahrenheit, Indigo Prophecy. Yeah, don't get me wrong, the game is batshit insane, but Mm -hmm. it's interesting from the start to the finish. Is that the Heavy Rain guy? Yes. Yes, it is. Was that the one he did, like, before or after Heavy Rain? Before. First game being Omerk and the Nomad Soul, which I fucking loved, but only based on its concept. The game was fucking nightmare to play. 
It did have David Bowie in it, didn't it? Yeah, they had this entire gig that you could go and view um, that was recorded by David Bowie. It was off of one of his albums that some of the songs are repurposed and such. But it's not like MB's going to make it to the end of that game because it's just fucking terrible to play. But he also <laughs> is the end boss. Spoilers for those who haven't watched the playthrough yet. <laughs> it's, it's, no, it's an old game and it's not a good game. So we've all gathered today to talk about Kirby Superstar. One of the reasons why I wanted to bring Mark on for this podcast is because I know this is one of your favourite games. Off the bat, Jen, do you know what type of game Kirby Superstar is? It's a platformer? Yes, we've came across these twice now in the podcast before. Yes. Just for any listeners who haven't listened to our Sonic and Mario episodes, what is a platformer? To grossly oversimplify, it's an obstacle course with cute characters. Your aim is to get from the start of a level to the end, but you've got enemies that will try to kill you, drops off ledges that will try to kill you, and or controls that will try to kill you. (laughs) You have had a bit of a problem with them so far in the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a great time with the controls on Super Mario Bros. I had even less of a good time with the controls on Sonic 2. Hopefully we're going to turn that around with this episode. In fact, Mark was the one that recommended this game to me as one that will hopefully give you a better experience of platforming. Yeah, why is that? It's incredibly simple. And I don't mean that in a kind of way that is not challenging, but it's very, very straightforward. The game's very methodical. It's also insanely cutesy and I know you too well. <laughs> okay then, let me ask you then, Jen. What do you know about Kirby? Most of what I know about Kirby is from my time playing Smash Bros. Yeah, that's a good place to start. Yeah. (laughs) My social life was playing Smash Bros Brawl as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And my friend Kay always went as Kirby. Mm -hmm. Because like he's cute and pink and all that sort of thing. What did Kirby do in the game? Do you remember? He could float up, which is always an advantage in Smash Bros because you always fall off of ledges. Mm Mm-hmm. And he does this thing where, like, he inhales the enemy and spits them out and takes their powers. Let's not think about that. Yeah, you think he's spitting them out? I hope he's spitting them out. <laughs> the, the opposite is worse. I wouldn't want to think if it's anything else. It's definitely... No. <laughs> Kirby always swallows. <laughs> no! <laughs> no! I do not want to think of that cute little guy that way. Also, there's Nintendo Direct in February. One of the few times Sean Fay Wolf did a gaming stream, he did a reaction to this Nintendo Direct. So I got to see the moment where Kirby became a car. Yes. And other household objects and other things, I don't remember what. But the thing that stuck in everyone's minds, including mine, was the Kirby car. Mm-hmm. Where he just swallows the car and starts driving with it. Yeah, we shouldn't expect anything less. Nintendo always innovate and push boundaries, and this is how they're doing it, apparently. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we say that, but they've reused the same characters for a long time. <laughs> yes, but they use them in different kinks. I mean, <laughs> I mean, styles. <laughs> I mean, having said that, it's a recipe for success. I come to think of it, there are some Kirby games where he's definitely playing into the inflation kink. Oh my god, no! Kirby is the inflation kink. (laughs) (laughs) Is Kirby the only character that you can remember from Smash Bros? Are there any other Kirby characters in the game? There's uh, King Da-da-da, no doubt short for King Diana Diana Diana. (laughs) Meta Knight? Yes, that's one. He was always my go-to in Smash Bros Brawl. 
I chose him in rose gold armour because pink. He, <laughs> he's always been quite an odd addition into the Kirby universe. Yeah? Yeah, because like, you've got Kirby, who's this big, colourful character. You've got King DDD, who's this big, colourful character. And you have this guy in this giant kind of serious armour with a sword. Like, What game is he from? Apparently Kirby. <laughs> For a few years, I thought that Meta Knight was Kirby's like alter ego. Like, Zelda has an alter ego, like Sheen or something like that. Sheik. Sheik, that's it. Jamie Oliver. <laughs> wait, wait, what? Jamie Oliver, defiler of egg fried rice and crusader against chicken nuggets. <laughs> that's in your version of Kirby, but no, he's not in this game. <laughs> One of those mukbang girls that eats a whole king lobster. <laughs> wait, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> What's with the horny energy of this episode? <laughs> that's your fault. I, I mean, I don't know why it's your fault, but I blame you personally. Yeah, I think that's all the characters you can name off the top of your head immediately. Do you know who makes this game? Uh, Sega? Try again. <laughs> I'm taking the best as Nintendo. Right. Do you know who in Nintendo? Jim? No. Always Jim with you. Oh, I thought it might have been the same people who made Earthbound. <laughs> no, it's not him. He does make a game that we have definitely talked about in this podcast before, though we've not done an episode on it. Right, okay. The heavy rain guy. <laughs> <laughs> Never let that guy anywhere near Kirby. Oh, oh mm, yeah. <laughs> He'll probably turn it into an existential nightmare. Yes. As far as I know, it might already be an existential nightmare. Mm. Yeah, consume yeah. all until none left but Kirby. <laughs> Isn't that just a human way? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why are reminded of the story of the dodos that they got kind of all got eaten out of existence? Uh, the King Dodo Dose. <laughs> and the buffalo. We didn't eat all the buffaloes, did we? I think we did. Shit. I know I shouldn't eat so many buffalo wings. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you expect from this game then, Jen? It'll be a platformer, as I said. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine it'll be similar to Mario, but instead of jumping the enemy to death, you become a blobby vacuum cleaner or something. Or, like, a gluttonous slug, which, I mean, yeah, I can totally relate. <laughs> I was on Sean's live stream when the Kirby Car Nintendo Direct came up, and I asked him, oh, is Kirby a family-friendly game? And he said, uh, yeah, it is. It's very straightforward. So, yes, I'm looking forward to it being the Dark Souls of Nintendo platformers. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the part where I normally tell my history of Kirby Superstar. But if I'm being honest, I only played this game for the first time, like, last month. Mm -hmm. And I was at Mark's recommendation for doing this episode. So I'm going to instead invite Mark to explain your history with the game and why you recommended it. Yeah, I've had such a long history with this game, or at least Kirby games in general. Mm -hmm. I remember back uh, when I was a kid in primary school, or elementary school for American friends, and we had those, uh, you know, at the end of every term, you'd always get that one day where you could just bring in games and pretty much do whatever the fuck you wanted. The teachers disappeared through to the teacher's lounge and got drunk. Yep, yep, I remember that. Yeah, we pretty much had ruled the school at that point. I think we were supposed to stay in their own classes, but since the teachers were away throwing shapes into the teacher's disco, no one was really <laughs> there to stop us. So I ended up going through to another classroom to see what folks were getting up to. And I remember there was this kid, and I honestly can't remember his name, but he was playing a Game Boy. I remember asking him what he was playing. And he said, Kirby Dreamland 2. I said, I'd never heard of it, and asked him what it was like. Almost immediately, this kid put his Game Boy in my hands and proceeded to gush about how cool the game was. 
showed me the copy abilities, and I was hooked immediately. At this time, platforms were pretty cookie-cutter, and if you played pretty much one, you had an idea of what all the others had in store. But this game was different. Not only did it let you eat your enemies, which given how cutesy Kirby looks, and the fact that he wanders around the world just flat out consuming people, animals, and animal objects en masse, like some sort of Lovecraftian nightmare. The mm-hmm. kind of coolest thing to, like, you know, like in a young me. It's only just dawned on me now that I am going to be, like, killing and eating everything in my path. Yep. Sliving! <laughs> 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 yeah, so fast forward to when I was living in Boston and... As a lonely Scot in a brave new world who knew what to get understand, I kind of fell into games a little bit too hard to try and compensate. I stumbled across emulation, which was pretty much in its infancy. I had downloaded an emulator and got pretty much to work with grabbing every single game that I've either heard of or people recommended to me through forums. Mm-hmm. And I noticed a little game that I'd never seen been a new form, Kirby Superstar Deluxe. This game is way better than the Game Boy game that I played before. An ability to humiliate your fools by wearing taxidermied version of them in your head. But he's still cutesy as all hell, and he gains some new moves. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how many times I completed that game, genuinely. It was just fun, you know? So as I started to make friends over there, one of them not only liked that game as well, but actually had a real honest-to-God life copy. For his uh, Super Nintendo. Yeah, for his Super Nintendo, yeah. I remember being at his house surrounded by his friends for the first time and playing past the pad with all the mini games. We even sat one day and finished the game playing past the pad and talking up a storm. That game helped me make a lot of friends. So again, fast forward, and at this point I think we should have a fucking DVD menu to this story. (laughs) You're fine, you're fine. I have a daughter, and she grows up and starts getting into gaming. So we get her Nintendo DS as the thing to do. Yep. With her mum, she started playing Mario 64, because that was one of her mum's favourite games. And she came up to me one day and asked me what my favourite game was. Told her about Kirby, told her all about how you can just eat people and be generally just demonic, Lovecraftian and Cthulhu. <laughs> Cthulhu, fucking iconic! About that time, Nintendo re-released Kirby as Kirby Superstar Ultra for the DS. So I went out of my way to get a copy of it because she needs to play this game. I fucking loved it. thought she would love it as well. I got it for her and within the weekend she'd already finished a few of the stories. It was all she could talk about. It was actually kind of adorable, actually. (laughs) Um, That must have made you so happy, though, like seeing how much she loved something that you've loved for so long. Oh, absolutely. But she eventually got stuck the last level. Now, I've been told that I'm not allowed to give any specific details away about stuff, but one thing that I've had greenlit is the fact that the last level plays a little bit differently than the rest of the game. Right. So instead of, like, you know, going around, finding an unsuspected enemy, jumping on him, eating it, devouring it, and then getting you under attack, steam your hat, <laughs> you need to find their souls instead and bind them to your will, which kind of makes Kirby and a deed into cute Thulu. <laughs> what? Hang on. No, no, you're taking the piss. You're not, because this is not a spoiler, you're taking the piss. It's not a spoiler or anything like that. Like, I'm being as cryptic as possible without giving too much away. Right. I'm sure for those who are listening who've played the game will be laughing their arses off right now. Yes, they'll know what's coming. The more you guys talk about it, the more I'm realising that I shall be a hellish evil force that will devour its enemies and wear its skin. And you know what? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yes. (laughs) All those years avoided leather coats. And sadly, it's now coming back to bite you. <laughs> Viva la vor. I mean, Kirby. <laughs> Don't Google that. Google it. 
<laughs> no, seriously, my mum listens to this podcast. I don't want to have to explain it to her. Do it now. Oh, she has faith in our generation. V O R E. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so, as Mark shares in this story, we are playing this game on the Super Nintendo Online through the Switch. Yay! Which means we're breaking out that controller we used with Earthbound. <gasps> Yay! I love that controller. Yeah, this is where we find out how bad the lag is. If it's really bad, we might just play it in handheld mode. Possibly. Right, so I'm just going to move into the rules of gameplay. Only got two rules this time. Mm-hmm. Rule one, this game is broken up into eight games. This is actually a compilation game of right. all the Game Boy games, I'm pretty sure. It's a soft reboot of the, the original Game Boy games and NES games. Mm-hmm. It's not quite exact remake, but it's capturing the feeling of it. Yeah, so there's quite a lot of modes to this game. Some you need to finish to unlock other modes, and some you don't really need to finish for anything. You'll be expected to finish the ones to unlock the whole game, but the other ones, as long as you try it and have something to talk about it in the second half, that's fine. Right. Rule two. This game does allow for two players just as Mark said in the story. So we're going to do like we did with Sonic 2, and I'll tag in to help if there's any difficult fights you have in the game. Okay. At this point, we're going to be saying goodbye to Mark, as he won't be back for the second half. It has been a pleasure getting you on this side of the microphone. Thanks for having me. I'm just going to apologise in advance for the shit I have to put you through editing this episode. Don't worry, I'm kind of, well, a third responsible now. (laughs) (laughs) Look at me and my self-hating editor. As for Jen, you've got your cookbook. Yep. And you've got your SNES controller. Yep. Are you ready to take this culinary tour through Kirby Superstar? Yay! All right. Mark, do you want to do the honours? Let's get started. Welcome back. We got through this game in four weeks. Decent turnaround for us. Yeah, I mean, that's about our average. I'm starting to expect we won't get any faster than that. Yeah, I think so. What are your immediate thoughts on the game? Yeah, it's cute, fun, and uh, Kirby is both deeply adorable and deeply horrifying. Yes, he is. Yeah. Are you starting to understand what Mark was implying in our first half about him being cute Thulu? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. To truly pronounce his name would drive a man mad. <laughs> In regards to our previous platforms, how did you find playing this one? Playing this one was really straightforward, actually. Listen to our other platformer episodes mm-hmm. and you will see that I don't do well with them. Not normally, no. But this one was pretty good. There are times where I kind of fumble about the controls, but that's a gen problem, not a game problem. What made this game easier to play? Um, I don't think there was as much, like, momentum. I found Kirby, when he was running, a bit heavier. You had a lot more control as to how light or how heavy you wanted him to be, for lack of a better term. Yeah, he really only comes in two modes, either walking or running speed. Or balloon. Or balloon, yeah. When he's floating up, which happens quite a lot and is a really good feature. He, like, inhales a whole bunch, like a balloon, and floats up. Yes. It is his way of getting through a level. 
it is infinite, so you don't really have to worry about falling hazards as much in this game. Which, thank God. You still have bottomless pits and mm-hmm. unexpected drops, but they were nowhere near as frustrating as other platformers I've played. Yeah, there isn't as much speed to this game as there was on our previous platformers. Yeah, Sonic was way too fast. Mm-hmm. Which, wow, first person to complain that Sonic is too fast. <laughs> You're far from the first. Am I far from the first? I feel like I'm going against the grain here. And Mario was very slidey and slippery. Mm-hmm. But Kirby, yeah, just right. Kirby himself does not have any powers, really. He can, like, blow a cloud of gas at you and that's about it. It doesn't really do very much. Mm-hmm. Where Kirby gets his powers is from consuming the flesh of his enemies. Yes. <laughs> you don't, like, eat them like a zombie. You basically act as a vacuum cleaner and suck them up, which sounds really dirty, but... <laughs> ugh. You suck them up. Yeah, you do. And then you hold your breath for a bit and you can either spit them out as a star to attack an enemy mm-hmm. or you can take their power. So you think you get to spit or swallow? You get to spit or swallow. <laughs> well done, Sandro. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> when you swallow them, you get their powers. Yes. For example, one of my first friends slash conscripts. Yeah, yes. Was a little guy called Burnin' Leo. Burnin' Leo is a little bit like Kirby, but has like cool fire hair. Yeah, it looks kind of like a headdress. Yes, it does, doesn't it? He looks like a combination of Guy Fieri and post Brain Force Alex Jones. <laughs> Not Alad Jones, for those in the UK. Alex Jones. Alan Jones is the Ice Powers guy. <laughs> the snowman. Get it? I could have made an Elsa joke, but I didn't. <laughs> you should be proud of me, listeners, for not making an Elsa joke. Oh, let it go. <laughs> yeah, I walked right into that one. Yeah. Well done, Jen. <laughs> so I think what you did a lot in this game is you would have your helper with his abilities helping out. You would then absorb another enemy. So you had some powers to work with yourself. Yeah. And then just tag team the game with your helper and you just causing mayhem. Pretty much, yeah. Otherwise, Kirby would live a pretty lonely existence. This is the first game that's actually had the companion mode. Normally he can just do the copying of his enemies, but it is just the... In this game, he learns how to strong arm the people around him into joining his cause. Yeah, yeah. He just kind of recreates them in his own image. Yeah, I guess. Nah. Right, he splits them from himself and they have all their powers and look like them. I mean, that's fucking cloning right there. Yeah, I mean, he does. I mean, he creates the clones of himself in the end of level screens of Spring Breeze. He just casually spawns two clones of himself and dances with them at the end of a level. And that's how you know you've succeeded. He's very keen on not dancing with himself. Uh oh. <sighs> I mean, not my favourite Billy Idol song. One other thing to add about the companions, they will often go ahead and pre-attack enemies for you. Mm -hmm. So if you've made a friend and then you want to get the powers of someone else that's just a bit ahead of you, if your companion ends up killing them, you've lost your chance to get that power. Yeah, they just kind of like go, I'll take care of this. And you're actually like, no, I need to get close enough to inhale him. You can't like command them and go, halt, soldier. 
they just go on ahead and Kirby's just like, okay, cool, fab. It's also really good if you've got low health. Mm-hmm. So then you can just hang fire, let them protect you while you're waiting to get another bit of food. For a lot of this game, it is just that loop of platforming, jumping, floating around, avoiding obstacles, finding enemies, inhaling them, swallowing them, making a friend, swallowing more enemies, and then killing everything. And eating lots and lots of food. You get your health back in this game by eating food. Yes. There's usually food scattered around the levels, and yeah, make sure you eat up when you can. What kind of food? Oh, everything. Ice creams, sandwiches. Milkshakes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, milkshakes is another one. The tomatoes with an M on them gets you full health back, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. So always keep your eye out for those. If you're quick enough, what you can do with the food once you get it is if you give your companion a little kiss, it can... If you or your companion get food, if you then touch each other... Kirby does have this motion like he is going in for a kiss, but it's like you only see his back, so you never actually see the lips meet. Yeah, so I mean, he could be, you know, like giving his friend a little kiss, but he could also be feeding his companion mouth to mouth. Yeah, that's all I can think of him as well. Just this idea of him chewing this food and spitting it into their mouth like a mother bird, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's fitting considering the ending of Dying of Blade, but we won't spoil it for now. Yeah, we'll get back to that. Okay, before we talk more about the main game, I'm just going to go through the history of this game a little bit. Kirby Superstar was released on March 21st, 1996. One of the last major releases for the Super Nintendo. Oh, cool. Before they jumped to Nintendo 64 later the same year. Mm-hmm. Fun note, this game is exactly one day older than Resident Evil. Exactly one day older? Yeah, Resident Evil came out on March 22nd. Could you imagine seeing both those games next to each other on the new releases shelf in Japan? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're both horror and eating people, but in different ways. This game was made by HAL Laboratory Inc. Not to be confused with HAL 9000 Inc. that didn't let Dave through the pod bay doors. No, not that HAL. (laughs) This is a studio that's returning to the podcast. Oh? After helping out Appy Inc. in our Earthbound episode. Oh, right, cool. Yeah, that time we talked about Satoru Iwata, who's the president of the company. Mm -hmm. This time, however, it's a different superstar developer at the range of the creation of Kirby. One named Masahiro Sakurai. Um, it does ring a bell. It should ring a bell. This is the man who created the Smash Brothers series. Ah, yes. The man who enabled me to have a social life. Yes. Nice. We have talked about his work in a lot of episodes so far, but this is actually the one time you get to talk about Smash Brothers and it's legit to the subject. Yay! He was 19 at the time of Kirby's creation. Whoa, really? It was just then making a series for the Game Boy that wasn't one of their major releases. It was kind of more of a side project, but they gave it to this teenager to design and it became his ticket into game development. That literally sounds like something from an anime. (laughs) He's since gone on to be the man behind the development of the entire Smash Brothers series. His involvement with both games is why Smash Brothers has long considered Kirby to be the second character of the series. Of Smash Bros? Yeah, after Mario, of course. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense though. If you remember in Ultimate, in the World of Light mode, all characters got captured by the big bad in the adventure. And Kirby rescues them all. Yes, and Kirby's the only one that doesn't get captured. He's the special one that goes on to unlock Mario in the tutorial. That's why Kirby is the one who unlocks all the others in the World of Light mode and Ultimate. Ah, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. 
I mean, I thought it was because he's just a pretty good character to play in his Smash Bros. No, it's just the creator playing favourites. Can you blame them? <laughs> he is cute. When you actually decide them, actually, the idea was to create a ball with a face as a placeholder where they made the mechanics. Right. They ended up falling in love with the dumb design. <laughs> just gave it arms and feet and then called that Kirby. Oh, that explains that then. Yeah, it's like with the Monkey Island episode. It's just a great placeholder that just stuck. Mm. When Hal Laboratory pitched the character which would become Kirby initially, he had some other name that was Popopo. Miyamoto recommended naming the character Kirby after a very particular American lawyer named John Kirby. Was that his pal by any chance? He is a friend of Nintendo, to be sure. John Kirby was the man who helped defend Nintendo in a lawsuit filed by Universal Studios over trademark violations with Donkey Kong. Right. Universal claimed Donkey Kong uses the character setting and plot of King Kong for its design. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can understand why that lawsuit would get a bit gnarly. John Kirby was the one who helped defend the case in court in America, not only citing the precedents that Universal Studios themselves in a similar lawsuit against RKO Studios, proving Kong was in the public domain, but also citing the difference in tone in the characters. King Kong is monstrous, powerful, scary. Donkey Kong is comical, silly, and is not portrayed in that same serious tone. Wasn't the original Donkey Kong, like, huge? Not like the average gorilla size he is now. Yeah, he was much bigger back then. Yeah. I'm wondering whether that lawsuit and John Kirby had a hand in that, because, yeah, I want to distinguish it from King Kong, original source material. How do you do that? Give him a tie. Oh, that's why he's got a tie. <laughs> Maybe. I'm not saying that's what it was, but that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they modelled the tie after John Kirby's tie. <laughs> Help us, John Kirby. You're our only hope. Well, Nintendo have thanked him enough already. Because mm. when they won the case, they awarded John Kirby a sailboat named the Donkey Kong. They gave him a boat? Yeah. As well as a boatload of money? I assume so, yes. Miyamoto suggested naming this character after John Kirby because he liked the juxtaposition of this fun, soft character being named with such a harsh-sounding name. See, that's so interesting because I would not have assumed that of the name Kirby at all. I didn't even know Kirby was a surname. There is the very famous comic book designer Jack Kirby. Right. Who had a hand in creating a lot of the Marvel Universe. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, those hair things, Kirby grips, are named after John Kirby as well. Kirby Superstar is the fourth game in the Kirby mainline franchise. Okay. After Kirby Dreamland on the Game Boy, Kirby Adventure on the NES, and Kirby Dreamland 2 also on the Game Boy. Cool. With Kirby Superstar, Sakurai says in an interview with the official Nintendo website that the game was designed with three pillars in mind. One was two-player cooperative gameplay. The second was including action similar to a fighting game. And the third was an omnibus format. Oh, right. The core gameplay we talked about in our mechanics, that was the first pillar. He wanted this to be cooperative, something you could play together at the same time and have fun with a friend. Yeah, very good first pillar. That was an idea from Miyamoto himself. And I think it was just another great example of how to make this game not only more accessible, but also just more enjoyable for people to play together. I mean, part of Sonic 2's appeal was the little brother mode. Absolutely, yeah. 
The second pillar was all about trying to get more mileage out of the copy abilities. Yeah. With the same single power, if you hit the Y button, you'll do one thing. If you hit the Y button while you're running, you'll do another thing. Up in the Y will do another thing. Down in Y will do another thing. A lot of this is what you'll find in Smash Brothers. Yeah, I was just thinking that, actually. The one button with different directions will do different moves each. does make things quite a bit easier than the combinations that we got in Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter 2. Yeah, and what's also fun is that all the powers work slightly differently. There's some powers where holding down Y will do something, and there's other powers where if you mash Y a lot, you'll do different moves. Mm-hmm. So it's all about trying them all and seeing which one's like the best one for you. My favourite one was the bomb one, but we'll get into that later. So for that third pillar with the omnibus format, this is from an era where people moaned about game length quite often. Yeah. So instead of making one very big long game, second I had this idea of let's just take the game, break up into more manageable chunks, in this case eight of them. So a player can get a feeling of completion a lot quicker, but also there's more to do in the game. Yeah, that makes sense. There's some of the games within Kirby Superstar that are pretty short. There's some that are just Mario Party sized mini games mm-hmm. and the longest games are the last two if you discount Great Cave Adventure. It does work. I mean I remember how good you felt on our very first day that you finished the first game. I was really pleasantly surprised actually. A platformer that I found straightforward. When it comes to music in this game there's really one name we have to talk about. Jun Ishikawa. Mm-hmm. Lead composer for HAL Laboratory. And has worked on nearly all of the Kirby games to create music for it. Loves to make light, breezy stuff that just mellows into the background and keeps the energy pumped. I don't know about these songs though. We were listening to the soundtrack yesterday. And there's one we were listening to called Candy Mountain. Mm-hmm. Which I can only describe as the strange mix of being fun, cheery, exhausting and slightly worrying. <laughs> I like this one. How dare you say something that offends me so much that I totally agree with. I don't know, I just, I hear that song, I can only describe it as the audio version of watching a clown on cocaine perform at a children's party. It's like, he's not doing anything wrong, he's being quite appropriate with the kids. Not doing anything wrong, Sandro. He's being appropriate with the kids. He's done drugs in the job, Sandro. He is just very energetic. The kids are having a wonderful time and he is being exciting, but the energy is concerning. Sandro, I hate to squash this metaphor down, but let's say, hypothetically, that we have... Let's say, hypothetically, that we have children. Right. Yes. Okay. And we have a clown for our children's birthday party. Would you, Alessandro Carolla, be perfectly fine with the clown performing at our child's birthday party being on cocaine? Right. The kids are- <laughs> I tried to do anything finishing, you know, I don't think I've succeeded. I couldn't resist. I heard the words hypothetically and then I could stop myself. Right, you're watching this performance and the kids are having a wonderful time and you're now catching is like, I think he's on cocaine. If the kids are having a wonderful time, I would feel trepidatious about doing that. I would keep an eye on him. I wouldn't let him out my fucking sight. But if he's not doing anything wrong, then why not? Sandro, facts don't care about your feelings. (laughs) (laughs) I do love the music. I don't know if it's in a way that I can like sit and, you know, moustache twirling, like analyse the tracks, but they're just so fun bright and glittery and colourful. Apart from that one salsa thing that plays at the menu which can seriously suck a dick the same eight bars over and over and over again. Most of them are really fun apart from that. 
Yeah, that only one you don't like is because you spend like 10 minutes writing your notes after finishing a game to just that music. Of all the songs you listen to, it's probably the one you listen to the most. Probably. So you're listening to this now. Imagine that, but for like a week straight and you'll get an idea of how I feel about this song. You know you can mute the TV, right? (laughs) I did actually have to ask you to mute the TV at one point, to be fair on me. Let's talk about the games and we'll talk about them all one at a time. Just to get an idea as to what each one offers and how they all differ from each other. So awesome, and we'll split it up between the games. To describe each game, I'm going to do a bit of a combination of using their in-game description and what they have written about them in the instruction manuals. Right. The first game we'll be talking about is... Spring Breeze. Hell, all the food from Greenland has been stolen. Hurry, Kirby, or everyone will starve. That was horrifying. Essentially, right, if I didn't win that game, everyone on Kirby's home world will start. Yes. Here is the story from the instruction manual where it says, That awful Ken DVD is at it again. He has stolen all the food in Dreamland. The inhabitants don't like being hungry and have asked Kirby for help. The new adventure begins. Yeah, so he is just trying to liberate food for the people. Truly a Robin Hood story for the modern age. Yes. Well, not the modern age. It was like the 90s, but eh, close enough. I don't get how the instruction manual implies that Kirby didn't give a fuck until people asked him. (laughs) Yeah, considering that, you know, food is Kirby's source of power. Apparently he only wants to do two things, eat and sleep. Yeah, so relatable. (laughs) We also get an intro. If you leave the splash screen of each individual game up long enough, there's trouble in Dreamland. King Dee and his soldiers have stolen all the food in the land. Here comes our hero, Kirby, riding in on a spring breeze. Let the adventure begin. Hey, the spring breeze. Yes, that's the name of the title. Wow. <laughs> In case you can't tell, we're kind of dragging out this intro a little bit. We have not much to talk about this game. It's... A spring breeze. It's a remake of kind of a bridged version of the original Kirby's Dreamland game for the Game Boy. Oh, really? Yeah, they've reimagined it with better graphics, but also cut the levels down a bit to make it a bit faster to play through. Right, okay. So that's why it felt like a bit too short. With the start of each game, you get a tutorial. Yes, if it's introducing a new mechanic, it'll give you a small tutorial. Yeah, they call it the beginner's show because it's on a stage. You basically act out what the action is that the game wants you to learn. Considering my experience with these games, I've always cried out for a tutorial. I'm finally getting one. Yeah, this is our first tutorial we've had in the game since Pokemon. Basically, yeah. Everything else but Pokemon has just dropped you off and been, go on, learn yourself. Yeah, I mean, Super Mario Bros. just like throws you straight to the Mushroom Kingdom and go, right, okay, save us all. Good luck. So I found Spring Breeze, a Spring Breeze to play <laughs> through. Uh, yeah, pretty straightforward. At this point, I was still getting my thumbs around the controls. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I was a bit worried that I'd do a that game journalist that couldn't beat the tutorial of Cuphead. But at the time, I had a really sore throat and I could barely think. But thankfully, managed to complete the game despite that. You did complete it the first time by one boss that gave you trouble. I think it was the Cloud boss. Yeah, the third boss was Thundercloud. Yes. And it was like the monster in that episode of Doctor Who where Matt Smith is first there. Oh yeah, it doesn't look like that, yeah. 
he just goes on about how brilliant he is and then they run away. Yeah, she's like, I am the man who beat the Daleks, who drove off the Cybermen. I am the man who fucked the dragon, fuck a Lising and fuck a Lou. Yeah. <laughs> That's a story for another time. We're not doing a Doctor Who episode, so no, it isn't. <laughs> I think you also get to grips with some of the basic helpers that you'll find through a lot of the adventures. You've got Burning Leo, who we talked about earlier. Sir Kibble, who gives you the cutter ability, where you throw these blades like a bit of a boomerang. Yeah. Rocky, which will turn you into a heavy object when you use it. And Waddle Do, that gives you the beam power. Waddle Do, did all the fighting I didn't do. <laughs> Waddle Do was really a defeated Quispy Woods. <laughs> whoa, 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 Waddle Do. Yes, that's the first boss of this area is the Wispy Woods where you fight one of that big tree with a face. Yeah, it's the tree face thing. It's also a stage in Smash Bros. It's where I think of it more as I know from Smash Brothers where you see it on the background. Yes, the background. Yeah. The fourth boss was King Dedede, mm-hmm. and his castle was also a wrestling ring. Yes. I don't know why that was. That's an interior design choice. It's so we can run Monday Night Raw. <laughs> Kirby, you're fired. <laughs> it was me, Kirby. <laughs> it was me all along, Kirby. <laughs> So we're having a handicap match of you and your helper versus King DDD. I mean, we say handicap match because we were both bombers. Yes, yeah, so it is also a Japanese death match where we're throwing bombs at each other. <laughs> <laughs> CZ Dub, CZ Dub. <laughs> I shouldn't have reminded you about the wrestling ring. Did <laughs> you should I? not. <laughs> you set me off now. <laughs> But yeah, that fight was uh, very, very short and anticlimactic. Like you carpet bombed the fucker back to the Stone Age. <laughs> I not. I carpet bombed him and yeasted him out the castle roof. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. I felt very accomplished of this very easy platformer with a very easy final boss. And that was just our day one, folks. Day one. So we also tried one of the mini games on our first day as well. Gurmy Race. Race through Gurmy World to the finish, gobbling up all the tasty treats you can find. Ah, yes, yeah, so average day in Genesandro land. <laughs> the story on these fish menu just bother me slightly. Let me just give you a second. A large fruit orchard is filled with fruit. Now, I'll remind you, this is filled with ice creams, milkshakes, cakes, cookies... A fruit orchard filled with food. There's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, didn't you know that ice creams and milkshakes and cakes grow on trees? Have you not heard of the milkshake tree, Sandro? Oh yeah, next to spaghetti trees. Yeah! Oh, yeah. See, now you're getting it. <laughs> Kirby heard of the orchard and journeyed there, but King Dee was waiting for him. Now all Kirby had to do is win the Gerby race. Piece of cake, right? No. No. No, it wasn't a piece of cake. It was hard. You've not only got to race King DDD through platforming, you've also got to eat more food than him. Yes, because that's how you get your final score. It's based on the combination of how much food you ate and who finished the race first. It is like a virtual eating competition, which I was never going to win. All the odds were stacked against me, like those juicy pancakes in Gourmet Race. <laughs> 
Thankfully, this is one of the mini games you don't actually have to win to move on with the others. Yeah, we could try it and then decide to never eat at that restaurant again. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so after you got beaten by King DDDDDDDD, we decided to move on to our third game Dina Blade. Dina Blade destroying all the crops. She must be stopped. Master different abilities and defeat her. See, women can steal all your food too. I already learned that from any time I've had chips around you. <laughs> oh, speaking of things that nick people's food. Years and years ago, I'm still, and I shouldn't still hold a grudge against this seagull. I was at Air Beach. I was really hungry. I just got myself a hot dog. I hadn't even eaten it yet. A seagull dive bombed me. I dropped it and all the chips that came with it and just watched as a horde of seagulls descended upon what was once my lunch. I was raging, especially considering like it was absolutely extortionate. But yeah, I have already suffered of a bird who steals people's food. So I can only relate to Kirby in this circumstance. So again, Kirby only gets off his arse when someone threatens to steal all the food from the kingdom. Yeah. At first, when I saw like the thing in the cutscene, it was one of those blink and you miss it type things. Yeah, it does have an opening cutscene as well, but all it is just Kirby sleeping, then something flies by. It like slices through the screen. Yeah. The flowers are sitting having a good time and Kirby's napping and then shoo, Dynablade like shocks everyone and then like a little feather falls down. As the bird flies away. Yeah, it's just something flies by, startles everything. An apple falls on Kirby's head like he's Isaac Newton. Something cuts a mountain in the background. I didn't even see something cutting through the mountain in the background, actually. All I saw was like the shocked, traumatised eyes of the flowers as Dynablade flew by. So this was the introduction of Dynablade into the Kirby franchise. She goes on to be a reoccurring character in future games. Yeah, I mean, I saw virtually nothing of Dynablade, but I did like her significantly more than King DDD, so. Yeah, Dynablade does play a lot like the first game we played. We have five levels that we're playing through, all visible from an overworld map, which is this game's gimmick. Kirby's walk animation on this map, though, does have this big dick swagger energy to it, like he's walking with two swollen testicles. <laughs> yeah, it does! It actually really does! One of the first really truly remarkable moments that i found in the game was the cook ability you don't get it very often because the cook is a mini boss so i ended up inhaling the cook Mm -hmm. stealing his power and then sandro you said do it press the button and basically a cauldron appears from the ether the enemies that are nearby are all drawn into it Mm -hmm. kirby stirs the pot And the people are replaced by food items. Yes. I mean, it was great to have my low health restored, but I have just cooked and ate people without flinching. It wasn't until then that truly dawned on me how weird and fucked up that is. Kirby could literally eat Jamie Oliver for breakfast. Like, if he was nearby, he's toast. Genius, I didn't even mean that. At the end of each level, there's a kind of mini game where a bunch of other pink Kirbys shoot you out of a cannon. Mm -hmm. I don't know where these other pink Kirbys have come from. I'm assuming they're just other kinds of Kirby, but you propose the theory that they are just clones of Kirby, a bit like the ones that do the dance at the end of every level. I think Kirby like reproduces asexually and just splits into more Kirbys. His offspring shoots you out of a cannon. 
You're hurled headlong into a series of enemies, mowing them down until you hit enough of them and you get like a one up. Mm. You get an extra life. It also didn't hit me until then that Kirby befriends people for his own ends. And when that friend has sacrificed himself for you, oops, always next time, I suppose, you are that monster. You enabled him. For your comrade, though, there is no next time. Look at how many people have died in your name. Yeah, that's me. I am that person. (laughs) And through that entire playthrough, I hadn't even thought to commemorate the fallen because it doesn't matter. That's not the point of the game. Horrifying. (laughs) I don't think Kirby's as bad as Mario, who would kick Yoshi down a bottomless pit just to get a second jump. Yes, he does do that really regularly. Yes. So he's not that bad. (laughs) Yeah, he's not that bad. Usually your allies should take so much damage they end up exploding. That's not much better. At least you're not killing them. You're not causing them to die. Well, that's a debate for another time. So if the final boss you fight Dinoblade herself... Yes, final area of the game, you get given a choice of which abilities you'd like to fight the boss with. Yeah, because you get that sometimes throughout the games where before the boss starts, you get to choose what ability from a certain selection. Yeah, there's like little trophies that when you touch one, you just get the ability straight away. Yeah. If you die and you come back, you get the choice to pick your new ability for this fight again. Mm-hmm. The fight with Dinoblade was really hard. Mm-hmm. I struggled with it and I was starting to get doing that thing that I sometimes do where I get into my own head and get frustrated and because I'm frustrated I make a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. so I needed your help with it Sandro to tell me what to do <laughs> yeah I was kind of like he'll stand here and get the attack because I think one of the worst parts is is that he never touches the floor mm-hmm. you have to attack her in the air which you knew how to do it was just getting the distance right to get those kills after the fight, you walk a little bit off screen and find Dinoblade's baby chicks. Mm-hmm. Real ethical question posed there. I was shocked. What have I done? I killed these babies' mother. Kirby's solution is he takes the chicks and moves them back to the apple tree from Whispy Woods. Ah. I gotta say, that is so fucking cold. He literally killed their mother, stole her babies, and now raised them as his own. So when I first played it, I didn't realise that there was the Dinoblade stealing all the food aspect. At first I thought that this bird just woke him up and now he's going to fuck it shit up. But actually, you know, there were reasons to it. In my head, and I think for a lot of people, Kirby realised that he'd ended up killing a mother bird. And then to make amends, raise them and let them leave the nest. Okay, I do have to set the record tree. He doesn't actually kill Dinoblade. But why did he raise the babies then? He didn't raise the babies. He just wanted to stop Dinoblade stealing crops. So they moved the nest to the Wispy Woods so they could eat apples. That's not the ending I got from the game. It is kind of implied otherwise, but you have to remember Dinoblade does help you in one of the later games. No, I don't know if that's true. I think it might have been one of the baby birds that grew up. That's what I thought. Dinoblade is a recurring character. It's You didn't kill Dinoblade. You didn't kill King DDD either. I mean, King DDD, he could probably survive that fall. Mm-hmm. In my head canon, I killed Dinoblade. And then to make amends for the atrocity I committed, I raised the chicks. And why Dinoblade came back to help me was her offspring returning the favour for me being a parental figure to them. You can go with that headcanon. <laughs> you can go with that headcanon. Admittedly, I kind of prefer it. It's the one that makes most sense. 
I will say, remember, you are playing a kid's game. They're not going to kill a mother and steal the babies. Kirby didn't steal the babies. He had no choice but to raise them as his own. You can't leave a bunch of baby birds to, like, die. Kirby can. <laughs> I mean, there is the argument, if you're going to be really cynical, that, you know, Kirby would decide, like, oh boy, fry-up time. It's <laughs> not. Jesus. Iron up those fried eggs. <laughs> they had already hatched, to be fair. Oh, oh I'd forgotten about that. I forgot they'd already hatched. But no. He did the right thing. And so he's a lot more likeable because of that. And also it's a kid's game. He wouldn't exactly kill the baby birds really, would he? He wouldn't kill the mother either. Right, we're arguing in circles about this. Nothing you say is going to convince me otherwise. I know what I saw. There's only one way you can settle this, and that's breaking the fucking planet. Nice segue. (laughs) This takes us into our fourth game. Megaton Punch. It's literally just a Mario Party type game where you've got to karate chop two concrete blocks so hard you break your home planet in half. Yeah, it's a fun little game. You have to, like, fill up a power gauge, like, at the end of the Dynablade levels. Yeah. Then you'd have to land two crosshairs as they overlap and finally hit the pendulum in the middle. Each one of those three, depending on how well you did them, would determine how powerful your punch is. Yeah, Kirby's home planet is called Popstar. It's shaped like a star, but with like two Saturn rings around it. Mm -hmm. All I could think of this whole time was like the flex tape meme. I sawed this planet in half! (laughs) You actually did quite well at this minigame. Yeah, I was really proud of myself. I didn't split the whole planet clean in half. Not quite at that level. But I was close. You did quite well to this. You were kicking the computer's arse at this. Yeah, it was great. (laughs) Okay, we'll move on to the next game in our collection, game five. The Great Cave Offensive. Get through the deadly cave while collecting hidden treasures. It sure was offensive. (laughs) (laughs) The first cutscene of the game is Kirby's just like, you know, waddling around, doing his own thing, and then falls into a bottomless pit into a series of caves. May I remind you, Kirby can float back up, but he's just like, oh, look, a cave full of treasures. What can I steal? Yeah, he just kind of falls in, and instead of trying to get back out, he just turns around and goes, fuck it, let's loot the plates. That's it. He's just looting a bunch of caves for stuff that isn't his. That's it. That's the game. Instruction manual for this one. Well, on a picnic, Kirby fell into a huge cave. Now, I'm already calling bullshit to this because he was already wearing his British colonial archaeologist hat, you know? Oh, yeah, the explorer ones that you get? Yeah, not so much Indiana Jones, but more I'm going to come and steal all the wealth from your country kind of thing. Yeah, and no, I shall not be making reparations. Thank you very much. Rumour has it that the cave is full of treasures. Can Kirby find all the treasures and make it out of the dangerous cave alive? We shall see. Doesn't everyone wear their colonial explorer's hat to a picnic that he just goes on by himself? I thought everyone did that. (laughs) Yeah, so the point of this mode is to collect treasures. There are 60 to collect, though there is no minimum that we need to find to complete the game and move on. Yeah, there are no real levels either. It's just one endless series of caves. Like, there are doors that take you to other areas, but it's non-linear. You can go back and forward anytime you like. It's like the back rooms or something. Yeah, it's a bit of that, isn't there? Constant, never-ending liminal space of just cave platforming. Okay, it's not liminal space. They are designed to be, like, different areas. Yeah, but there are also different back rooms, Sandro. True. I don't know if anything you say will ever convince me that it's not 
horrible liminal spaces considering that you also didn't like this game when you played it no it's very confusing layout one of the worst problems of it is because it's non-linear it's quite easy to get turned around and because all the enemies respawn you don't sometimes realize you're going backwards if you're not paying full attention it's not like doom where you know you can keep track of where you've been by the dead bodies on the floor yeah it doesn't have that no there's no like relief of like the levels delineating like little noise that say hey you've completed this level hey you've been in this area i can see the appeal in theory Mm -hmm. there is something satisfying about seeing your loot in front of you it was just this never-ending labyrinth and the treasure you find feels kind of hollow it is just like one big long constipated kirby level yeah i did suspect going in you were gonna have a bad reaction to this game yeah so to make this mode a lot less of a chore I thought we could play this in two-player mode. Yeah, in two-player mode it was a lot better because at least I wasn't in those caves alone. Yes, I took over the companions and helped you get more fun out of this mode. Playing one-player mode on the Great Cave Offensive was dismal, Mm -hmm. so two-player mode was a lot better. We could both look around the level and find treasures together. Both fight enemies together. Yeah, it does make the game a lot more fun. If you're into your scavenger hunting and puzzles, you'll probably get a bit of a kick out of this game, but it is not the easiest, to say the least. It's a shame because this mode is very reminiscent of a game we're going to be covering in 2023. Yeah, ah, that'll be fun. Although that game does have the courtesy of giving you a map. Yeah, this game could have really benefited from a map. I feel I need to mention what I had looted from these caves. Yep, go for it. Just to feel some sense of accomplishment. I got 17 of the 60 treasures that I got, which I will list here. Gold medal. Mm -hmm. The Indiana Jones BDSM whip. Okay. Lucky cat. Mm -hmm. Screwball. That's from another video game. Ichigo Candy. Ichigo is the name of a place in Old Japan. Ah, right. Not to be mistaken with Ichigo, which is the Japanese word for strawberry. Ah, that Ichigo candy must be absolutely fusty if it's from an old precincture. <laughs> yeah. Gads. Star Stone. Mm-hmm. Beast's Fang. Mm-hmm. Bandana. Springtime. Mm-hmm. Like the season of spring. Yep. Dime. Mm-hmm. Unicorn's Horn. Mm-hmm. Autumn Time. Like the season autumn. Yeah. Rice Bowl. Which I thought at first was, oh, it's got rice in it. Oh, like something like Kitchen Nightmares or something. But no, the rice is not there, but it's probably not been washed properly. How long's that been there? You're gonna kill somebody! (laughs) Dud. What was the dud again? I think it was like a bullet or something. I think it was like a bomb that didn't go off. Yeah, that was it. Pegasus Wing. An effigy of Tom Nook called Raccoon Doll. Don't think that's Tom Nook. He hasn't been invented by this point. I know, but he looks like Tom Nook. I can't unshake it. And last but not least, Triforce. Yes, that one's definitely from another video game. Definitely from another video game. Yeah, there's a lot of Nintendo references in here if you've got a very careful eye. Yeah, or no social life. Yes. (laughs) Ah, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I can't judge. My social life was Nintendo for a period of time. I'm not throwing stones. There is something satisfying about seeing your loot in front of you, but the game is just far too long. 
It's probably not the longest. It just feels that way because of its non-linear nature. Because it's like one of the back rooms, yes. Mm-hmm. It's like formatted like a platformer, but divided up like an RPG. Mm-hmm. I felt it would have benefited from some fast travel, but a map would have been better. But then I realised that, ah, that would defeat the vibe of exploring through unknown caves. Mm-hmm. And a map would probably do the same. Out of everything we've covered in the podcast, this is the game I liked least in this collection. Mm -hmm. And probably the game that I dislike the most out of everything we've covered so far. Well, even more than Sonic? Even more than Sonic. Wow. Yeah. We do get one final boss at the end of this area, which is a big giant guy with stone hands. I completely forgot there were bosses, actually, until like I read my notes and you brought up the stone guy. Obviously not very happy that you've made off with 17 of his 60 stuff. Imagine how pissed he'd be if you took all 60. Oh yeah, he'd be really pissed. So he tries to stop you by using your stone hands, you break his hands, that teaches him a lesson. Yeah, don't fuck with the people who rob your house, just call the police. In other parts of the world, when you get caught thieving, the thieves get their hands cut off. Yeah. <laughs> right, after that slog of a game, we thought we'd move on to the last mini game we have available to us. Our game six... Samurai Kirby. Push any button immediately when you see the exclamation point. You are a samurai and you've got to react. It's like a quick draw challenge Mm. where you've got to slash first. Yes. It'll be you and an enemy with this kind of samurai motif, both of you. Mm -hmm. And the minute you see an exclamation point, you have to press the button. Any button will do. Yeah. The one who presses the button first wins. Yeah, it's my favourite minigame. Yes. We did have to move this over to play in handheld mode rather than use the SNES controller just to defeat lag. Yeah. The minuscule lag was something that was affecting this game. Mm. So we did play this in handheld mode without the SNES controller just to give you a bit faster reactions. Which does help. It did progress me through the game a bit faster. Mm -hmm. After this though, no more minigames. We have two full games left to cover. First off, we have Revenge of the Meta Knight. Defeat Meta Knight and his giant warship Halberd. Okay, this was the game where I finally got Kirby. Yes, this is the one I think it finally kind of clicked in for you. Yeah. This game's gimmick is that all the levels have a timer. Yes, I really like that. So we're kind of going back to the Mario and Sonic levels where there is a time constraint on all the levels. It's not a harsh time limit. You rarely worried the clock in these levels. Yeah. But it was something to add a new layer of pressure to the game. It did make everything a lot more chaotic and frantic. Yeah, you definitely felt like you had to do things quicker. Yeah. My platforming must have improved, because I really relish the challenge. Seven games in, it finally kicked in for you. Sure, it's got a similar chaotic and gameplay and powers as the other main games. Mm -hmm. But the difference here is that there's actually a story outside of this bird is fucking up our crops plunder the labyrinth of treasures you've fallen into and overthrow the penguin dictator who's stealing your food. I was curious to know what Meta Knight was getting revenge for. As far as I can see, it's just revenge for the arse kicking he got in Kirby's Adventure. Meta Knight and his crew are flying the giant airship called Halberd. So Meta Knight's plan is to take over Dreamland and end everyone's laziness. Yeah, it's like if Sporticus was the bad guy. Yes. The opening cutscene, though, is a special one. Yes, I love it. It cuts between two scenes at a time. One where Meta Knight and his crew are setting up to launch the Halberd, and one where Kirby is riding a warp star towards them. Now, the warp stars we've not really talked about much. They literally just set on one and just warps you from one part of the level to the next. 
Kirby is just riding this warp star towards the halberd and it keeps cutting to kind of the same shot of Kirby riding it and he's just getting slightly closer each time. Mm-hmm. Totally reminds me of that scene from the Monty Python and the Holy Grail of Lancelot running up towards the castle. Yeah, it does. So you just have this cutscene. Reactor 1, output normal. Hang on, wouldn't it be more appropriate if I read it considering, like, Meta Knight's my character in Smash Bros? Yeah, if you want. Reactor 1, output normal. Adjust the balancer to 0, 0, 0, 3. Let's raise the anchor. Check anti-gravity plant. One, two, three. Okay. Release the sails. Solar level 288. The time has come. The time to show our power. Dreamland's lazy lifestyle will end. I will rule. Yeah, so that is our intro. Couldn't take it seriously after that, because then it's the game starts, and it's exactly like that scene when Lancelot arrives. <laughs> You just start slashing and causing mayhem all around the fucking level. Yeah, pretty much. All through this game, little text boxes will keep coming up of all the crew being worried about how closer Kirby's getting. With this game, something clicked. Maybe it's my boy Meta Knight. He actually does seem like a genuinely intimidating villain. He's not like some fat penguin buffoon. He's like dark and angsty and like... He will fuck up your shit. Why is it every time I look at Meta Knight, I think of Sonic the Hedgehog and his rival Shadow? As in Meta Knight is Shadow the Hedgehog? Yeah, kind of a wee bit. I don't know if Shadow the Hedgehog's that intimidating. It's just the idea being of like, we have the, all these cute characters and here's the clearly edgy one. I guess Shadow was the villain, wasn't he? He's kind of the anti-hero. Meta Knight probably should be an anti-hero. Yes, you play him in some of the other games. Oh, really? So Meta Knight is an anti-hero, but he's a lot more intimidating than King Dedede, who's mm-hmm. supposed to be the main villain. Yeah. I think it's the armour that does it. Maybe it's enjoying bombing the fuck out of my enemies with my friend and riding him like a motorcycle, screaming, eat my dust at my enemies. That's one power we did have in this game was the wheelie ability. Oh, it was great. It was so much fun. If you're Kirby and you have the ability, you turn into a wheel and you can just roll through levels. If your ally has the ability, though, you can ride your ally. Yeah, which sounds a lot more dirty than it actually is. Yes, you basically ride like a motorised unicycle. Yeah. During the second half of this game, though, the platforming got really tricky, so I did need your help for that. There was a bit where you did have to do like an auto-scroller level. Oh, yeah, that was really hard. You kept getting caught by the metal lobster boss. Oh, yes, heavy lobster. That's the one. Thank you. See, I knew those mukbang girls would come back again. (laughs) Just before the fight with Meta Knight, you deactivated co-op mode so I could go in and fight myself. I recommend you took my power card, the bomb power. Yeah. Because that's the one thing we didn't talk about. You actually can turn your allies back into powers if you want to use their power again. But no, then I ended up just taking the sword option. Yeah, you can't start the fight until you pick up the sword. Yeah. So instead we finished this game with a one-on-one duel between you and Meta Knight with swords. Oh, it was really tense. There was like quite a bit of button mashing involved, but it felt like a genuine action-packed sword fight. (laughs) Which you did beat first time. I did, yeah. So you managed to slice through his mask. That destroys the ship. And then you have to make your daring escape. Meta Knight was trying to attack me throughout my escape, but I managed to evade him. The main issue with this part was the... It was like Sonic platforming, where you had to dash an attack. Yeah, because you're riding the wheelie again. Yeah. And you have to hit all the ramps. But there's some things you have to jump out of the way. 
And if you miss the jump, it can kind of knock you back a little bit. I found that really frustrating. Yeah, this did take you a few tries to get through. The timing's really slim as well, Mm -hmm. and already not the best at fast platforming. So I hadn't improved that much, but somewhat made progress. Mm -hmm. Once I managed to get off the ship, there's a final cutscene where Kirby and his sentient motorbike stands atop a cliff as Metanite's ship crashes into the sea. I swear to God they are playing House of the Rising Sun. I'll put the tune under us right now so the audience can decide. I'm pretty sure, like, most people will agree with me on this one. (laughs) As, like, the credits roll, Kirby rolls on the motorbike with this angsty look in his face. (laughs) But that's another mode down, and it's time to take on the final game. Milky Way Wishes. You must stop the sun and the moon from fighting. Which is all you're getting from that opening screen. I mean, I think that's really all you need, to be honest. Oh shit, the world's gonna end because the sun and moon are fighting. In real life, the sun would win hands down. But, you know, this is Kirby Land. Both have equally fighting chances. So this one has an open cutscene as well. I hate this because, like, the year question mark, question mark, question mark, which is really easy to read, but not really hard to say. So, one day in the year... Mm. The sun and the moon fought day and night. So we then see one of your friends, who is this little cheery looking fellow in a jester hat, riding a ball, and the prompt comes up for the name Marks. Hey, 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 can you make peace between the sun and moon? You need to ask the giant comet Nova for help. But first, there's something we must do. To ask Nova, we must gather power from all the stars around us. It will be difficult, Kirby. But you can do it. We're counting on you. Good luck. And that'll be the pretext to our final game. This opening cutscene is kind of magical. How so? The music is really lovely. Mm -hmm. And there's just this shot of Kirby and his friends staring out as the sunset. And, well, not this. It's an orange sky as if it's a sunset. But really, it's the sun and moon fighting. Mm -hmm. And... I thought that, like, Kirby was a cold-blooded killer feared by all, but seeing him with actual friends was, like, it made me like him a bit more. You assume he's with his friends. He could just be out having his dinner. Oh, God. I mean, the idea of the sun and moon crashing together would, in reality, be really intimidating. But because it's nice, pretty pixel art, it's kind of like the impact is not quite as hard. That cutscene like made me understand the kind of childlike magic from Kirby and why like a kid would be drawn to it. Okay, yeah, it definitely has a lot of cartoonish charm to it. Yeah, but don't tell the alt right that Kirby's friends with Marks, they'd be inconsolable. <laughs> now Milky Way Wishes has probably the most unique gimmick of all the other games. You don't have to inhale the enemies to get powers. Yes, you can't copy your enemies in this game. But you do spend the game collecting up all the powers. Yes. Remember earlier when we talked about the ability trophies? Mm Mm-hmm. In this game, the minute you touch an ability trophy, not only do you get the power, but you get to keep the power. Yeah, which is really, really handy. You collect an inventory of all the powers in the game. Mm Mm-hmm. It's really cool, actually. You can switch over to the ice powers whenever you like, or go into the yo-yos, or the bomb power. Which I stayed with for most of the game once yeah. I found it. Yeah, which had the bomb power, there's little else you needed. Yeah, exactly. It is a little bit overpowered. One thing you did enjoy, though, was having your ally be the hammer guy. Yeah, the hammer guy is a bit like the hammer bros in Mario. Very big, stacked guy. 
wielding a hammer. And what was his name? Bonkers. Some people think I'm bonkers, but I just think I'm free. You're really waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, I was. I mean, he's just living his life. There's nothing crazy about him. Yes. But in fact, he's running about with a fucking mallet and wacky people. Considering the current state of the world, why not? <laughs> it's quite fun, though, to play through this game, isn't it? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Mark did once tell me that the entirety of Kirby Superstar feels like a prelude to this one mode, because it is just the funnest mode in the whole game. Yeah. Milky Way Wishes is probably longer than the Great Cave Offensive, but the breaking up of the different worlds that you travel to does make it a lot easier to digest. It does. You've got no idea how much better breaking something into parts can be. We don't want to spoil too much about the gameplay and everything, Mm -hmm. but one level I do want to point out is a really difficult one on level three, Mm -hmm. where it's like a lava world. It's absolutely horrendous. But to summarise it, it's like Flappy Birds, except your chicken cutlet trying to escape the barbecue. (laughs) Oh my god, it was so frustrating. It was the most frustrating thing I've had so far with this game. Very close to throwing the controller at the TV, Wings of Redemption style. Admittedly, there wasn't any like it in the Great Cave Offensive, but all you did there was just not go down that route anymore. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Not having to worry about eating enemies did make it easier to do some things, like keep a companion. Yes. The minute any of your companions die, be like, Jen, just make a new one. Go make a new friend. (laughs) Yeah. Your friends were eminently more replaceable in this game. Mm Mm-hmm. Each level ends with Kirby collecting a star, and there are seven worlds to this game. Once you save all seven worlds, you get a cutscene of Kirby summoning Nova. Ready, I will grant you one wish. While Kirby's about to speak, Mark comes flying in from off screen and shoulder bashes Kirby away. Well, I want to control Popstar. Okay, three, two, one. Blast off. Wow, it worked! The Sun and Moon are fighting, go find Nova! All my plans worked! Popstar is mine! Now I can do anything. I must be going now. <laughs> yes, so it turns out that the entire thing was a ploy by Marx. The right were right! <laughs> it's those cultural Marxists at it again! <laughs> I had this moment where I was like finally in front of Nova and it's like, oh, all my hard work will be complete. It'll be fab. Got all the seven stars together. Then Marx is all like, I want to rule over Popstar. And I was like, oh, fuck off, Marx. Wait, Marx, what are you doing here? <laughs> yes, totally out of the Dragon Ball playbook. With someone just jumping in and shooting their wish. Yeah, pretty much. At least he asked for something better than a pair of women's underwear. Yes, that did happen. What? At this point, I forgot their home planet was called Popstar. Yes. So I'm like, hang on, why does he want to rule a pop star? Then I realised, oh, that's the planet. Marx wants to take over the world? Who'd have thought? See, you don't understand, he doesn't want to rule the planet, he wants to become Simon Cowell. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Simon Cowell's label folded recently, did it not? I didn't, I didn't know that at all. Yeah, yeah, look it up, I might be wrong though. Oh, well, let's have a whip round for him. <laughs> yeah, and the X Factor was cancelled in 2020. One of the only bright spots of 2020, to be honest. <laughs> Popstar, it's a better name for a Martian colony than Elon Musk could come up with. <laughs> I was so angry, that little shit get his wish. And here I am, floating injured in space. What do I do now? 
But then the planets all come to help me and take me back to Popstar to defeat Marks once and for all. Yeah, but he does like a little kind of dance first. He does just makes the hand movements of the YMCA and then all the stars start surrounding him again. But so now you have to chase after Marks and right the wrong that's been committed. Suddenly, the game turns into a fucking shoot map out of nowhere to destroy Nova. Yeah, you have to, like, go inside Nova and destroy it from the inside. Okay, new game genre. What can you tell me about shoot maps? Uh, a shoot 'em up is a video game where you fly around shooting little aliens called M-Ups. Yeah, I'll do for now. <laughs> yeah, it just comes out of fucking nowhere, this shoot 'em up level. Yeah, it did throw me a little bit, not gonna lie. Especially considering... Because it's an auto-scroller, mm-hmm. you can't go back at all, really. Mm-hmm. So, basically, if you fall too far behind, mm-hmm. it'll kill you. But it's so hard to, like, steer clear of obstacles. You even slightly graze an enemy ship. You're goose. You lose a lot of health, yeah. You're as well just starting again. Mm-hmm. So many legs were broken in beating this area and the boss at the end. Yeah, just a room of rotating guns. Yes. But once you break them all, you then get your final fight against Marx. Yeah, Marx has turned from this, like, you know, clown and cocaine beanie man into, like, this hellish bat creature. Sorry, just clown and cocaine just clicked in for me there, fucking hell. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I'm pretty sure that it's a representation of how the far right see anything vaguely socialist. (laughs) So how do you beat Marxism? By hiring someone to do the work for you. Because <laughs> you do have an ally for this one-on-one fight. It's a more two-on-one fight. And because you can create one at any time, you never run out of allies. How do you defeat Marxism? By dividing the workforce, of course. <laughs> you can create allies at any time. So you just kept using your allies to help you with the fight. And also bombs. I bomb fuck out of the spectrum of communism, which we're not trying that in reality. No, we would have tried that, but then Russia got the bomb as well. Yeah, and then it became very cold. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Once we beat Marx, he is... Don't get how he's depowered, we just assume that because he's beaten, he's been depowered. Mm. And that's the end of the game. You'll just go straight to credits. You send him back down to the planet, and you've saved Popstar. Kirby, triumphant, does what he always wanted to do, and just gets some sleep. Clearly the sun and the moon were keeping him up. Like your upstairs neighbour having too much of a party and you're poking the ceiling of your broom. Shut the fuck up! Oh, we're on the night shift. <laughs> so that is now all eight games beaten in Kirby Superstar. Or is it? Surprise! Head ninth game. The Arena. The final challenge in his toughest battle yet, the Pink Wonder faces its strongest enemies. That does sound like a wrestling promo. It does, doesn't it, yeah? Yeah. AEW <laughs> Tony, take notes. Yeah, this is just a boss rush. Yeah, I took one look at it after completing the whole of Milky Way Wishes. Um, like, no, no thank you. No, it's nothing you to worry about. I did play it myself just to show you it. It was like 15 minutes it took you. Yeah, yeah, just to beat the whole game. Mm. So I think just for people who are wanting a bit more of their Kirby game. Yeah. I mean, if you like the boss fights, then go for it. You kind of go from fight to fight, but you've got a really limited number of health. Yes. That's to last you the whole game. Yes, you usually get new abilities and you can create new allies after every fight. But there's only about five M tomatoes you can take. Yeah. So you've got to beat all the bosses and only take health when you're really low. 
while we're at the end, is there any other bosses you would like to highlight that you had a fun time fighting in this game? Um, the RPG boss was pretty funny. Yeah, it's like these text bosses that come up. With the different boss characters as if it's like an RPG. Yeah, and the music goes 8-bit as well for this boss fight. Yeah, that was pretty fun. Any other ones that you liked or even disliked? There was the whale one. Ugh, I, I honestly like didn't know how to beat that. Yeah, it's kind of like, just bomb fuck out of it again. That's how they should have solved Moby Dick. Just bomb the shit out of that fucking whale. That's one thing I actually do have to admit. It was only when I was playing the arena, which is the very first time in the game, I had the controller to myself. Yeah. Did I finally remember that the L and R buttons block? Yeah, I didn't even know there was a block option. <laughs> yes, I completely forgot this game had a block option. I think it was in one of the tutorials, but we completely forgot about it. <laughs> That does help in the whale boss. Yes, I think it would. <laughs> so you wonder why we haven't talked about that ability all game is because we didn't use that ability all game. Yeah. <laughs> that is the end of the game. No more modes to Kirby. How do you feel at the end of this one? Um, I thought I was going to not like this particularly because the first two games were like fine. The mini games were fine, but the Great Cave Offensive was bad. And I thought it was going to just going to be meh because the Great Cave Offensive would take it down several pegs. So yeah, the first few games weren't really impressing you. They were fine. They were quite good, except for Great Cave Offensive, which can go die. (laughs) But the last two really picked up for me. I'm glad that you came into this one. This game was really our last chance for platformers. Yeah. If you didn't take to this one, I probably would have dropped them for a while on this podcast. Yeah. I'm glad you had a good time with this. I really am glad you had a good time with this game. Yeah, me too. It was good. Okay, let's just go through this then. From 8th to 1st, what's your order of the games in this? So, last place, to no one's surprise, the Great Cave Offensive. Really? I would have thought you'd put the Gourmet Race in last place. No, Gourmet Race is 7th because yeah. Gourmet Race is short. True. You didn't have to play Gourmet Race, but you did have to play the Great Cave Offensive. Yeah, exactly. Megaton Punch is 6th. Mm-hmm. Fine minigame, but... It basically was like a two-minute thing and then you just forget about it. Mm-hmm. Joint fourth is Dynablade and Spring Breeze. Mm-hmm. They're on par with each other platformer-wise. I enjoyed them both about the same. I'd probably say that Dynablade at least gives you a bit more. Third place is Samurai Kirby. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun, but again, because they're mini games, you don't get that much out of it. You could, like, spend ages trying to get the high score but modern audiences we don't give a shit about score mm-hmm. two is i am really torn between the order of the best ones because they're both really good in different ways but i'm gonna have to put milky way wishes second mm-hmm. i love the aesthetics of it and i love the platforming but there were some like really cheap things that really threw me off but revenge of the meta Knight is just great there's some frustrating, tricky moments in there, but games are supposed to have tricky moments. True, yeah. I think that was kind of what let Spring Breeze down a bit, was that it was a Spring Breeze to play. If you're giving it to a very new gamer, it'll be a good place for them to start. Mm-hmm. But I'm not completely new to gaming, you know, just by my background and stuff and mm-hmm. my upbringing. So that's just done with Kirby Superstar. As you probably guess, this game is considered a great success. Easily the best Kirby game on Super Nintendo, which did get another mainline entry with Kirby Dreamland 3. 
At a time when people were moving away from Nintendo and buying a PlayStation to get games like Resident Evil, it's really good to see Nintendo putting out such quality like this to keep the audience happy. Mm-hmm. A remake of Kirby Superstar for the DS was made in 2008. Ah, oh, nice! It's called Kirby Superstar Ultra. Beefed up the graphics, better sound design, and added four new modes, including one where you can play as Meta Knight. Oh, that's really cool. And it had some other gameplay tweaks from there. One of the things we had a problem with in this game was that if Kirby has an ability and you wanted to give it up, you couldn't do it without losing your ally. Yeah. This game adds a way you can eject powers. Oh, that's really cool. In 2021, a big band cover of a song from this game was released by the 8-bit big band, naming it Meta Knight's Revenge. In 2022, this song won the Grammy for Best Arrangement, Instrumental, or Acapella. Nice! Yes, so this game has a Grammy to its name, technically. That's really cool. I never knew that until I was doing my research. It's not the first video game to win a Grammy. That goes back to Civilization, I think. Oh, it's just a really comfortable song, isn't it? Yeah, oh my god. I don't know much about the Grammys, so I'm not going to in any way try and pretend to get nominated right here. I think you're not happy that Yummy got nominated in 2020. Yeah, over Blinding Lights by The Weeknd, which was the biggest song of the year. (laughs) The Grammys get something right for a change. (laughs) So, before we move through to the list of submissions, I just want to throw it over to yourself. What do you take away from your time with Kirby Superstar? See, usually I come out of a video game and I usually get like something analytical to say about it. You know, coming out with a profound speech about the meaning of life in Earthbound or environmentalism in Sonic the Hedgehog but Kirby it's hard to do much analytical thinking and there's stuff there don't get me wrong I'm not going to turn around and say that there's nothing to analyze but Kirby has just pushed straight through the critical analysis big brain gen into like the mushy part of the brain that likes cute puppies and stuff And rationally, I know that Kirby as a force of nature is horrifying and terrifying, but like, he's so cute. I think it's just part of the cognito hazard at this point. The what? Cognito hazard. What's that? It's a term used a lot in the SCP Foundation when it comes to something that can put out like dangerous ideas or hazardous to the mind can do like mind control type stuff. Mm -hmm. Hazards that can mess with your mind, basically. And Kirby is one of them. Yeah, Kirby is very, very much a cognito hazard. I know that like MatPat did a whole video about Kirby being like super sinister and everything like that. And you come out of the game thinking, or at least I did, yes, yes it is actually, but look at how cute he is and look at his chubby little cheeks as he eats your food. <laughs> sure, he just summoned a crowd of innocent people and Jamie Oliver to a boiling pot and consumed their life energy. But look at those kawaii eyes. <laughs> How am I supposed to say no? Like, the force is too strong. Me personally, I came away from this game slightly sure that if Elon Musk is going to offer this job of CEO of Twitter to anyone, it should probably be Kirby. I guess so. Very I- influential character. Very influential, very well liked. Doesn't have any leaning to right-wing politics, which is handy in this day and age. Depends who you ask, though. True. Doesn't have any leaning to left-wing politics either. Kirby is just apolitical. <laughs> I mean, he is like, he's a Republican in the sense that he's anti-monarchist, as we can see with him defeating King Dedede. 
and he seems to be against big government. He doesn't like the government coming here and taking our food. <laughs> Kirby's also a freedom fighter. And considering, you know, there are certain groups of people who are really all for free speech and freedom, really tout that a lot. Kirby is your guy. He will subdue all of your enemies. I remember we were actually talking about this a wee while ago, and it's so true. Kirby is an embodiment of Microsoft's concept of embrace, enhance, extinguish. (laughs) Yes, yes. Right. You explain it to the listener. Okay. Microsoft in the old days had this old mantra with emergent technologies. You embrace it, you go, yes, this is a good technology and we're going to support it. You enhance it. In fact, we're going to support it so much that we've made our version of it that's going to work with their version so they can work together. That's what you do publicly. And then privately is the third thing you extinguish. You keep touting your enhanced version that the embraced version gets pushed further and further to the side. Perfect example of this is with Internet Explorer. Back in the old days with Netscape Navigator, they did it with rich text formats, did it with everything. If you think about Kirby, he finds a new enemy and embraces it. Yes, I like your powers that I'm going to use the powers myself. He enhances it. In fact, I like your powers so much that I'm going to create a version of you that works on my side. And he extinguishes by then going with his new ally and killing everyone in the game. Yes. Don't get me wrong, he's not the perfect candidate. He clearly isn't an innovator. He's much more keen on stealing other people's ideas. But I mean, that's not new to the tech world, darling. Not really, no. Not particularly innovative, but very good at pulling together other people's hard work. A cognito hazard. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true of people like Bill Gates. (laughs) Politically ambiguous. Mm -hmm. We can project, but we don't really know his leanings. One thing that probably lets him down the most is I can't imagine Kirby typing with those stubby hands. He can get someone else to type. He can absorb someone who can type. (laughs) Just absorbs a stenographer. Yeah, basically. Okay, Twitter, well, you know who you have to interview now. As much as, you know, we can argue that Kirby is a freedom fighter, liberating the land and its food sources from oppressive forces, he's also not unfamiliar with exploitation. Yes. Yes, he makes friends, but... Those friends just happen to be more than happy to sacrifice their lives for your ends. But at least it's agreed that you work together and at least you're giving them a snog to keep them inspired. They're in it for the whole. They're in it for the whole. Yeah, exactly. They're getting their fun. But then again, like, you know, you can still like reel someone along with that. They're such a toxic person, but oh my God, the sex is so good. It's the kissing. Kirby clearly kisses like a face hugger. He just gets in there and it just feels so amazing. Lays his eggs right down your throat. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) To put it in the comparison, it's better than Mario, who would happily punch Yoshi at the back of the head to make us better of his tongue. Yeah, that's true. Better than Sonic, who would not give a shit as Tails gets killed. But I mean, then Kirby doesn't care when his friend gets killed either. He just replaces him with another. At what point does the original personality of that enemy before Kirby's influence on him end and the new person that Kirby has created to replace you begins? That is, there is something very strange in the Kirby process of I will eat you, assimilate you and then clone you. Yeah. You describe it outside of the context of this really cute little chubby pink guy 
HP Lovecraft would be sitting up and taking notes. <laughs> Very racist notes from his xenophobic notebook. <laughs> All like the weird Lovecraftian horror type thing is not original. Other people have said it before. It's been around for almost as long as I've been alive. So my takes will not be particularly original. But if we're looking at it from that angle, it's different to the horrifying aspects of like Doom and Resident Evil that we've covered in previous episodes, where all the horror is right on show. It makes no pretense as to what horrors actually lie in the game. Mm -hmm. Doom wants to be badass and scary and set in hell, and Resident Evil wants to have zombies and giant snakes jump out at you. But Kirby wants to do the opposite. He's unassuming. He's cute. He's charming. And it's that. That's his in. Over the games, Kirby did have to earn my respect. The Cognito Hazard didn't work instantly. It took me a while to warm to Kirby, actually. Because, you know, that weird dissonance that I've made painfully clear. Well, to be fair, that, I think it should be said, that was the gameplay that took a while to warm to you. You did find Kirby cute from day one. Yeah, but I mean, there's finding him cute and liking him as a character. Hmm. I've came away from these eight games liking him as a character. Horrifying implications of what he is aside, yeah, he's my favourite character of a platformer that I've played so far. But yeah, I have done my obligatory English literature waffle. I'm quite pleased. I thought that my brain was mush, but I've managed to come up with something and I am proud. I have done my job. And if Kirby does get the job as Twitter CEO, I do think we're due a recruitment fee. <laughs> Can't be any worse than what we've got. Twitter might not even be here by the time we release this episode. Who knows? But we're still going to speculate. We've got a few write-ins to get through. First thing we have is from The Level Infinite Show at G Squad Podcast. I was actually born in 02, so I don't remember much about the game. But what's fascinating about it is the mechanics and the overall immersive nature of the game itself. Also for me, it's the classic appeal of the game itself. Quite a general text, but there's a lot to say that there is a lot of appeal in the design of this game. Yeah, I have found that. It's just colourful and cutesy, and I've said cute so many times in this episode. Feel free to start a drinking game. Yeah, go back and listen to our episode and drink this time. We could do with a listen count. <laughs> but no, it's the idea being that you could really take any moment of this game, screenshot it, and you'll have a very beautiful visual. Yeah. There's something to look at in the background. There's funny expressions on the enemy's faces or on your face and while at the same time there isn't too much where the visuals fuck with your playing of the game the only one thing i could think of is when we were doing that shoot up section at the end of milky way wishes there was an image in the background that you thought was a hazard you have to dodge i was like no i think that's a background image and you then could go past it but there's very few of those type of letdowns in its design mm-hmm we also have one sent in by Mr. Trolldemort, who you can find on twitch.tv slash Mr. Trolldemort. Kirby Superstar is such an interesting game. I remember playing the Kirby Superstar Ultra remake on the DS as a kid and was blown away by how tight the controls were and how it starts out easy and simple, but getting more and more complex over time. Yeah. I only got into the original years later. In fact, I only played it on an emulator a few years back as a Let's Play on Twitch. Ah. It felt like watching a classic childhood movie but watching the original cut on a cassette of something. Yeah, that VHS feel. 
everything was amazing, yet something fell off what I remember. Like I was reliving history as it should have been and not as I remember. Despite it, I still think Kirby Superstars is one of my favourite games of all time and it holds a special place in my heart of what video games can be and what it can bring. Oh, that's nice. It's so strange to hear a story like that and even compare that to Mark's in the first half. There's just some people who have this massive emotional connection to Kirby. Even if the way he's explained it here, it's not like he said it's perfect because they've got this particular mechanic or this particular aspect. It's just the entire package is just so inviting and fun. Yeah, it is. Even Mr. Trolldebort here is just giving it how it feels like a childhood classic that warmth and nostalgia to it. I totally get that. Just the magic of it clicked for me with Milky Way Wishes. Me too. I didn't play this game as a kid. I only played it at Mark's recommendation after we did the Sonic episode. I was really worried about finding another platformer to do. Yeah. Playing this, I'm like, yeah, I would have loved this as a kid. I would have loved this as a teenager. Yeah, Mark was right. <laughs> yeah. Let's just move into our conclusion of this game. And I'll ask Gen about the three gens. <laughs> That's not good. I have slightly changed the questions here a little bit, just for the sake of getting a better grasp of your opinion. For last gen, did the game live up to your expectations? Do you feel it holds up as a classic? Uh, yeah. I was expecting it to be quite accessible, and it was. I was expecting it to be very cute and colourful. It absolutely was. Mm-hmm. And does it hold up as a classic? Absolutely. I mean, that might be the cognito hazard speaking, but... I very much think it does. I think I said after I'd finished Spring Breeze, oh, we probably should have done this one first. This one's a really good starter platformer. It would have been as cute as we did start with Mario, but it would have been a much better way for someone to get into gaming. Yeah. The Great Cave Offensive really isn't great. It does not hold up. See, that's the thing. That is considered one of the best modes in the game. What? That and Milky Way Wishes are considered the two best modes in the game. I uh, very much disagree with that one, but I'm not going to say it is without merit. They did experiment, they tried something new, and it clearly paid off for some people, but for me, it just didn't. If you like your puzzles and scavenger hunts, and you've gotten through a whole bunch of other platformers, you'll probably get a bit of a kick out of it. But play it in co-op mode, don't play it on your own. I guess it's much more fun if you aren't playing it under a time constraint of shit, I've got four more games to cover, I need to get this episode out as soon as. That's true, but also even then, it wasn't for me. Okay, okay. For current gen, what are your highlights of the game? And is there anything about the game which didn't work for you? Um, I've said my piece about the Great Cave Offensive. That was the main things that didn't really work for me. The controls, apart from that, were pretty intuitive. It took me a while to find my thumbs around it, but that wasn't detrimental to my gameplay. I think I was just trying to learn the difference between the attack button and the make a friend button. Yeah, yeah, that was one thing that kind of threw me a little bit, Mm -hmm. was that. (laughs) Highlights, probably the cutscene where you're just sitting watching the sky with your friends. And I know that's not a gameplay highlight. Gameplay highlight... Definitely the sword fight with Meta Knight. That was a good way to finish that story. And really nice gameplay storytelling as well. The odds were very unfairly stacked against me through most of these games. So it was interesting to have us, like, you know, at a similar level. Mm-hmm. A one on one duel to end that game. 
I mean, it wasn't what ended that game. There was also the escaping from a motorbike to jump off of a flying warship. Really fucking badass when you think about it. Yeah, it is. a good, good ending. <laughs> oh, very good. Most of Revenge of Midnight was a gaming highlight for me. <laughs> Sawing this planet in half. That was another fun moment. And the Samurai game, that was good too. (laughs) Whatever you do, do not play that game with Mark. You know how it gives you like how many seconds it took you to react? I shit you not, he got a 0-0 once when I was playing with him. How? I don't know. The man is incredible for this game. I can't explain it. He has divine powers. Clearly. And finally, for next gen, would you recommend this game to a newcomer? Are you interested in trying other games in the franchise? I'd absolutely recommend it to a newcomer. I think I've made that very, very clear. Mm-hmm. As for trying new games in the series, there's none that's really jumped out at me so far, but I'm sure if there is one, I'll want to play it. Not interested in playing the one where Kirby eats the car? That is tempting. Hmm. I'll think about it. We'll see. Okay, I think that rounds out. Not unlike the character of Kirby. And it means we can move on to our next episode. This is going to be our 10th episode. So I thought we'd mark the occasion by playing one of gaming's greatest franchises. Mm-hmm. And take another bite out of the GRPG system that's done you well so far. So to that end, we're going back to the PlayStation 1 to play the legendary cinematic experience that is Final Fantasy VII. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. I've heard lots of good things about this game. As always, we're happy to hear your opinions on Final Fantasy VII and the Final Fantasy series as a whole, because we are condensing a lot of games into one to look at the Final Fantasy series here. I do want to hear more people's opinions on what you think of the entire franchise. Please send us your emails at starterquest at gmail.com, or you can send your tweets to at starterquest, and we'll happily read a few out on that episode. And with that, I do want to say thank you very much for listening. This has been our first full year of the podcast. Watching this podcast grow over the past year has been wonderful. Yeah, it's been lovely. Now, to see this year off, me and Jen are going to make a bonus episode. It's going to be us discussing our first year and a half of the podcast, as we didn't really do anything for 2021, reviewing our episodes and showing some stuff that we cut from the final edits that we think you'll enjoy. Yeah, it's a nice little yearly retrospective. Yes. So please join us for that when we drop it in January. We'd also invite you to take your time to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Anything that helps the algorithm be nicer to us. It's really good to have your feedback. I love hearing from all you guys. Yeah, you can leave comments on Podbean, Good Pods, wherever you can. We'll try and find it. We'd love to read it. If you have someone in your life that you think would love to learn more about video games or just enjoy hearing how a noob approaches games they love, please recommend this to them so we can all share our love of this wonderful medium. Yeah. I'm also a writer. I have my writing website, jenhugeswriter.com. It has most of my published portfolio, including my poems and blog posts. My debut chapbook is also space-themed, all about the stars in the solar system in relation to human emotions and grief and stuff. Very fitting for Milky Way wishes. Got me through my time writing it. My chat book, Keep On Spinning, you can buy on my website or through my publisher, Dreich Publishing. That's D-R-E-I-C-H, Dreich Publishing. Yeah, nice little Scottish word. 
My social media is Jen Hughes Writing on Facebook, Jen Hughes Writing on Instagram, and Jen Hughes Writing on Mastodon. <laughs> yeah, we have joined Mastodon for the podcast at Starter Quest, but I've not worked out how to use it yet. A lot of people are in the same boat, to be honest. We've jumped ship to Mastodon, but don't know how to row the boat. If you are interested to hear my top 10 games of 2022, or to see what Jen's five favourite games of the podcast were before we do our roundup episode, we were recently invited by Dylan of the Offshore Gamecast to write our lists for his website. Do check us out on offshoregamecast.com. Plenty of other good stuff to read while you're there. I'd also like to thank the Overclocked Plaid Muffins for this episode's theme song, Ska Buffet All You Can Eat, available at ocremix.org. Until next time, we'll be fighting through the streets of Medgar. It'll be a goodbye from me, Alessandro. And a goodbye from me, Jen. Quest completed!